I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome S.V. Dete to our broadcast today. He is author of The Useful Idiot, How Donald Trump Killed the Republican Party with Racism and the Rest of Us with Coronavirus. Of course, he is also White House correspondent at The Huffington Post. S.V., thank you so much for your time today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. How do you anticipate the, the next few weeks to go in terms of your duties as White House correspondent and, you know, the extent to which the campaign and the official White House have been blurred and the new administration will want to uh, presumably restore the wall of separation between a political campaign and 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Right. Well, you know, we've seen since the election that the president basically has spent most of his time complaining about the election, complaining that somehow it was taken from him, that it was stolen. And much of the White House has gone along with that, which really is an inappropriate thing for them to be doing, just as it was kind of inappropriate for them to, for example, host the Republican National Convention at the White House, which is something that happened. So you're right. I I, I don't think we're going to see that kind of um, mixing between campaign activity and official U.S. government activity uh, as much, or maybe even not at all, in the next administration. The next few weeks, I'm not really sure how the president's going to react to this On um, at, at a time certain. The, the actual electoral college will meet and uh, say that uh, Joseph Biden is the next president of the United States. And at that point, the all the, the legal challenges, such as they are, they have not been very effective to date, have to pretty much end. And then I don't know what he's going to do. My assumption has always been that, it, that at some point he would go to Florida and then maybe not come back. And that's certainly, you know, one of the, one of the strongest possibilities. Well, you know, this has been an administration rife with corruption, and it, it certainly is a possibility that what Trump has attempted to do to persuade legislators to defy the will of people in their states, uh, Pennsylvanians, for instance, or Michiganders, um, it's it's not beyond Trump that he would attempt to bribe electors to get results that he wants, um, even if it was not diminishing the outcome, but putting a dent in the sales of the newborn Biden presidency. Uh, do you have any inkling that when it comes to corrupting the process of the Electoral College, um, that that's something Trump is prepared to do? I think the pre- this president would pretty much do anything uh, <laughs> within the realm of possibility in order to reverse the results and basically steal the election that he that he lost. I do think, though, that other Republicans at this point have have started to get fed up with this nonsense, and they see that it's basically a fundraising scam that he's running. He's he's um, he's asking donations from uh, small donors, many of them retirees, to help overturn the election. And the fine print says that the money goes to a fund that basically he can use for whatever he likes. He literally can pay his more his mortgages with it, or buy Big Macs, or you know, uh, pay off porn stars if that's necessary in the future. So uh, a lot of this is, is not really about the elections. It's about Donald Trump figuring out a way to make money off of this thing. Now, we saw just recently that Arizona, where they were complaining loudly about the election being stolen somehow, 
the governor of Arizona, a Republican, signed off on the paperwork ascertaining that Joe Biden had won those electors. And it looked like his cell phone was ringing. And based on the ringtone, it was the actual president calling him. And he didn't even take the call. He continued doing what he was doing and signing off on the electors. Most of the states have actual laws in place that say how the electors are determined. And for the legislature to undo that after the fact would really open them up to lawsuits, lawsuits that would lose. And I don't honestly don't think we're going to see that. In fact, I think the Pennsylvania legislature is done at this point. So I don't know how you're going to go about doing that. They're they're out of session until next year. The, the notion would be in an even crasser pivot um, to, to actually uh, attempt to bribe the electors themselves, understanding there may be consequences for faithless electors. Um, the, the idea that uh, Trump would not uh, be satisfied until he finds a way to corrupt the Electoral College vote in a certification, um, change what was the media uh, projection um, that he wanted to deny was reality. Um, Like you said, it seems like nearly impossible for him to be able to do that unless he's going to bribe individual electors if the state legislatures are not going to reverse the results. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't see how that works. I mean, number one, he lost by 74 electoral votes. So he would need to bribe 37 of them in order to get to a tie, it looks like. And um, you know, these electors don't, aren't picked at random, right? I mean, these people are, are, are typically, at least the ones that have been chosen in these states that Biden has won, they're Democrats. They're longtime Democrats who probably were loyal personally to to Joe Biden. So, you know, good luck with that. I mean, and uh, the first attempt at bribery is, is another federal charge that he's looking at. And um, it could come after he's out of office. And so he won't be able to pardon himself for that. So, no, I, I think we're at the point where um, the the suggestions are just getting or what he might do are, are getting outrageous to the point that even his his hardcore supporters are kind of thinking, hey, uh, this is this is past. I mean, I, I've made a point of listening to Steve Bannon's podcast and radio show uh, periodically over the, since over the last month. And at first, you know, he was very gung ho about this, about how we're going to seal the deal. We're going to close the deal that uh, Donald Trump won on, the, on election night. And now they're to the point of yelling at the Republicans for not stepping up and helping them steal this election. So um, I, I think I think this has kind of run its course. You know, the, the idea of, of stoking chaos and, and um, basically buying time and, and allowing there to be this, this uh, assault on truth and delegitimizing what was a largely free and fair election, um, you know, it, it's, it's created a climate of, of tension and division. You're suggesting that even Republicans are, um, finished with it, uh, but it doesn't seem as though most Republicans are willing to say so, perhaps until after the Electoral College votes, which is coming up in, in a couple weeks now. Right. I think we're seeing a pretty big split between the National Republican Party, which remains in fear or thrall, whichever it is, of, of Donald Trump, and then those folks in the state 
who are kind of, oh, well, you know, let's move on. There's things we got to do and a budget we need to put together for next year and so on and so forth. We, we actually had the Georgia Secretary of State, an elected Republican, criticizing the president pretty harshly, right, in Georgia. So I, I think, you know, we're at a point where um, it's, it's becoming okay to criticize the president. Let's see what happens in the next week or so if additional United States senators and members of Republican men, members of Congress start echoing what, what um, I think Senator Murkowski said from Alaska. He said, you know, it's time for him to concede, grow up, let's move on. Um, come January 20th at 12.01 in the afternoon, Chief Justice Roberts of the United States will give the oath to, uh, to Joe Biden, and, and that's that. The, the, the only longer play here is understanding the vulnerability of the person who's succeeding him, which is age. And it, it's been my thought recently that, you know, it, in, in, behind closed doors, uh, um, Donald Trump um, is, is perhaps saying to Republicans that uh, should the Democratic nominee, now President-elect Biden, for whatever reason, not be available to take the oath, you know, he, he wants to be in that game and in contention. And so while there has never seemed to be a viable legal strategy, uh, except authoritarianism, uh, literally discounting people's votes and uh, not living in a, in a republic, um, that had seemed to be the one Hail Mary that, that I don't hear a lot of people talking about because it's, it's not a pleasant thought. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what the, what the process for, for such a thing would even be. You know, it's funny you mentioned authoritarianism because uh, the president has been open, literally been open to asking the military to do things that the military really has no business doing. I mean, I remember back in June when he, when he had beside him, when he went to that church after clearing that square, he had uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he had the Secretary of Defense. They broke up a peaceful protest with tear gas and beatings so he could stand in front of a church with a Bible. Now, people remember that. A lot of people forget what happened within a couple of days. And the Secretary of Defense said he had no idea what was happening, and, uh, and he regretted being part of that. And General Milley, who was there in uniform, went even further. And he actually apologized and said this was totally inappropriate and I should not have done that. And that was a good day for democracy. And it sent a message to the White House that, look, whatever crazy schemes you're coming up with, we're not part of it. And we're going to maintain the role that we, that we in the military have had for 250 years, which is um, we don't take part, of, you know, we're not part of the, of, of the president's uh, Royal Guard. We're, we're the United States military. And we, we have our oaths to the United States constitution, which is very different from a particular human being. So I think that was a really good day for democracy. They got overlooked. And once that was done, the president was relying on his, um, his, people in DHS to round up protesters and so forth. But it was pretty clear that um, as much as he might personally like to be an authoritarian, that wasn't going to happen, at least not here, at least not right now. Right. And, and it remains to be seen, you know, to what extent there would be vulnerabilities in the system if that hypothetical arose and uh, Republicans were in a, in a ploy to, um, restore his power, um, try to put him in contention um, for the presidency. But the certification will happen in two weeks, and presumably these are 
nightmares that that we shouldn't have. Uh, the nightmare of covering the White House, as you document in The Useful Idiot, has been yours, along with a small cohort of White House correspondents, uh, some of whom have, have uh, survived COVID, who've been um, ejected, uh, had their credentials banned, have had to sue to restore their credentials. Um, it w- would be safe to say, SV, that this has been a White House unlike any other, and you are looking forward to the a return of, of some semblance of normalcy in a Biden administration? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, some people think that, oh, well, this is great for ratings. It's great for, for journalism because of all the clicks and everything. And, 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 and perhaps in the short term, <laughs> those things may be true, but it's bad for America. It's been bad for democracy. And the idea that competence and truth matter in in the most powerful position in the world. So, you know, part of what I what I went through in the book was was outlining how in a two-party system the parties have responsibilities, right? And the biggest responsibility is to make sure that the person running for president who they nominate is a straight-faced qualified person to be commander in chief of the biggest armed forces in the world and also a competent emergency manager in chief. And uh, we certainly saw on that latter point that the president uh, was not. I mean, he failed miserably in his handling of the, of the, of the coronavirus. It could have been something else. It could have been a terrorist attack. It could have uh, uh, been an armed conflict somewhere. But it happened to be this. And we saw that when things were important, the presidency matters. And I think a lot of people went into that, that uh, polling place four years ago with the idea, ah, it doesn't really matter who's president. Trump would be just like Hillary or Trump can't be any worse than Obama. And uh, what's the big deal anyway? Let's just break stuff. And they wanted that to happen. Well, okay, we broke stuff. We broke the way that uh, the FDA and the, and the, um, the, the health services, NIH, CDCs are supposed to operate efficiently. And it, it took a while for us to, to do these basic things because we had a president who didn't want to do them. You know, that's ridiculous. So, you know, apart from my covering this, this White House is the idea that uh, this government ought to work for everyone. And I think we're getting to a place and, you know, but Joe Biden was not the most flashy candidate. In fact, that was part of his appeal is look, the most important thing here is that we get rid of the guy who's in the office right now because he's a disaster an even bigger disaster waiting to happen. And I think that's what Americans kind of rallied around here. We had Republicans voting for Joe Biden because they were fed up with Donald Trump and thought that another four years would be disastrous. SV, what, what um, quite practically speaking, are you looking forward to um, having someone brief you who you can say has respect for truth? Are you looking forward to briefings resuming more regularly daily as they were in prior administrations? What, what aspects of normalcy are you uh, hoping uh, to see right away? Right. Well, you know, the White House briefings are, are fine I mean, in terms of procedural um, steps that we can take in order to get the, the basic who, what, and where of government out to, out to, the, to, the, to the country. And um, I, I, I frankly have never been a big, as a journalist, I've never used briefings per se in order to get information. I've always 
gotten in through other sources, uh, documents and conversations with, with people, et cetera. Now, one big thing that I do think is important for the country, f- briefings that we get back to are those at the State Department. I mean, I remember for no matter who the president was, the, the briefings at the State Department are not just for American press. Those, that message goes out to the world. And it was important. And they disappeared. They literally disappeared under the Trump administration. And even when they did happen, they were often uh, not reliable in terms of, of, of factual accuracy. So even as important as, as the White House briefings will be, certainly I think the State Department briefings will be far more significant because that is the, that is the voice that this country uh, speaks with to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, I think, is ready for us to behave more rationally and more responsibly. Your day-to-day, how often would you interact with other reporters on the cabinet level beats that that seems to be important at the advent of a new administration uh, to be in in contact with uh, the folks who are covering the State Department or DOD um, and and to you know to have those open lines of communication, um, which which uh, you know both among the departments but also among the reporters covering those beats. Yeah, well, that's something that we've done uh, at HuffPost and in previous places where I've worked. Uh, I used to work at NPR and the National Journal, and yeah, that's if I was working on a story that uh, that involved a State Department initiative or you know uh, an overseas issue, I would obviously. Uh, try to get them involved and get their expertise. And hopefully that'll be more normal going forward because it has not been <laughs> for these last four years. Um, a lot of decision-making was made, not even within the National Security Council, which is a, kind of a normal place for these things to happen, but within Trump and his son-in-law or Trump and his friend who's a member at Marvel. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. And uh, it, it'll be good to get back to his a place where actual expertise is valued. And then as those of us covering it can rely on each other's expertise uh, as well. You mentioned the State Department. Pompeo was a figure who, in, in, in what appeared to be either a, a farcical or maniacal um, kind of sinister posture, was the most high-profile person representing the United States to deny the election results. I mean, to just deny flat out the 80 million plus Americans who voted to oust Trump, to remove Trump in favor of, of Biden. Uh, it was it was kind of the, the shot heard around the world in, in the most despicable of, of ways um, that here you have the presiding, uh, you know, diplomatic officer of the country who is meeting with folks abroad touting you know, democratic reforms in X, Y, and Z countries. And at home, he either uh, out of fear of Trump, fidelity to Trump, uh, or just again, a plot to try to disenfranchise and to elevate Trump um, through non-democratic means is saying what he said. And I, I, I know that you asserted that um, the, the United States is is perhaps farther away from authoritarianism than those of us might have feared because of the processes of, of this 2020 election. But it must have sent some shills down your back, uh, as, as it did mine, to hear Pompeo say what he said. Right. Well, 
that was like in, in the immediate days to follow. And that was a nervous time. Absolutely. I mean, we didn't know how exactly how far uh, the president's enablers would go in trying to make this, in trying to basically have him undo the results of the election or just stop the count, which is really what he wanted to do. But yeah, absolutely. To have the, the head of our foreign service go abroad and kind of um, say, well, we don't really know what happened in the election and maybe Donald Trump won when it's clear as day that Donald Trump lost is not a good message. And the only saving grace is that it came at the end of this period and people can probably lump it all in with this whole Trump experiment, uh, if we can call it that. Now, I personally think that Mike Pompeo wants to be president himself and as do a lot of uh, Republican senators. And so they see the people who are uh, absolutely fiercely loyal to Donald Trump more than they are to the Republican Party as the ones that they want to compete for right now. And uh, speaking for myself and not for my, my news outlet, shame on them. Because those people have shown that they are, are not really interested in democracy as they are in a particular type of individual who they want to be their ruler, even if it's by authoritarian means. And for people to, to be pandering to them, I think, is, 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 you know, that's just a disgrace, especially, especially when they are the, the public face of the United States to the, to the international community. And final question, SV, do you really think we still don't know how far they would go um, to disenfranchise those who voted for Biden uh, and, and to try to retain power? It's not clear to me we do know how far they would go. And part of that you know, might be circumstances that still unfold uh, that would allow them to um, take further steps, for example, with the suit against Wisconsin if there were justices who were going to go rogue and just full on authoritarian and and vote to overturn the results. Uh, That is one of the remaining suits. Um, But, you know, there there clearly has been a backlash against Governors Ducey and Kemp um, uh, from the Trump faithful um, just for certifying the legal results. Uh, So I guess my final question to you is, do we really know how far they would go yet, whether or not the enablers um, will be intimidated uh, beyond the point they are now and and give Trump and his campaign and and team even more room to to make havoc? Right. Well, I, I think one part of this is, where have all these lawsuits gone? Where have all the lawyers who are supposedly pushing these lawsuits gone? I mean, the Republican Party spent a lot of time and a lot of money lining up very qualified lawyers around the country to handle legal challenges. And what are we left with? We're left with Rudy Giuliani with stuff dripping down his face and uh, this woman's claiming that this entire thing was rigged by Hugo Chavez, who I might point out has been dead for seven years, uh, somehow stole this election. Well, that's the caliber caliber of lawyer who who's handling these things for them. So yeah, yeah, no doubt that Donald Trump initially thought that all he had to do was get this in front of this in front of the United States Supreme Court and Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett and Justice uh, uh, Gorsuch owed him personally, and they and maybe uh, Alito and and Thomas would would give him the five, and then he could do whatever he wanted. Well. Uh, I I never thought that 
that was plausible. I mean, unless there was an actual justiciable case, and clearly there wasn't here. He lost. And the ruling that came out of the, the appellate court in Pennsylvania, the federal appellate court, written by a Trump appointee, I think made clear that uh, the game is over. You know, you're a ridiculous man. Please go away. And that's basically it was written that in almost that many words. So, you know, I, I don't know what next they can do. They, they don't they can't go full on dictator because the military has already said, no, we're not. <laughs> we we're not going to do that. And um, without the courts and this process that's going forward, regardless of what they try to do, you know, I, I think in the end he, uh, he takes his ball and goes home and just tries to trick people into giving him money as he's been doing as pretty successfully it appears. Um, as as we um, white house correspondent at Huff post and author of the useful idiot. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for your muckraking fact-based coverage, uh, un, um, undeterred over these past years. Um, I think, uh, you've done a service to not just your news outlet, but to the nation. So thanks for your courage. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you again for having me.